0: Thank you for joining us today. In light of this Christmas season, we'll take a break from our usual Bible study, and today we'll read and discuss the Christmas story and the amazing gift of the birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So grab your Bibles and let's get started. So why don't we begin in prayer? Our Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for the many blessings that you've given to each one of us. We just don't take the time often enough to thank you. And we don't deserve so many of the gifts that you've given us. Yet through your incredible grace, you've blessed each one of us in so many ways. And most of all, we just want to thank you for your son at this Christmas time who you've sent as a free gift to us to come and take on all our sins and then die a terrible death on the cross. We know he was buried. We believe that. And we believe he rose again on the third day and was seen by over 500 people to prove that he, in fact, was who he said he was your son sent to us as an incredible and amazing gift to provide for the forgiveness of our sins and our salvation and our eternal life with you. And we are so sorry that we continue to sin. We ask for your forgiveness and we ask you to continue to have the Holy Spirit work in and through us to become the people you want us to be and bring glory to you in all we do and say. So please continue to put us through trials and difficulties to teach us and to rub off our rough edges in the coming year change our lives, transform us so that we can continue to grow in our relationship with You. Father, we'll probably all be meeting, or some of us will, meeting with family and friends during this Christmas season, and we just ask that You help us to reflect Jesus to those that we come in contact with, not only by our words, but by our actions. And if it be Your will, give us the appropriate opportunity to help someone else receive the incredible gift of Your Son, our Lord and Savior that you've given to us through your amazing grace that you also offer to them if they will only receive it and just help us to facilitate that in the appropriate time, Father. We ask you to continue to bless this group as well as those who are not able to join us today and help bring us more focus on you in the coming year rather than ourselves. Please Father, speak through me as I read the story of the birth of your son, And let your words continue to transform us so that we can show other people the tremendous peace and love that we have and that can only come from you. And we ask all this through your son, Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Okay. So open up your Bibles. We're going to be flipping around really between it's just the way the story lays out in the Bible. Find Matthew and find Luke. Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2 is where we're going to spend most of our time today although I am going to show you a couple of Old Testament prophecies that we'll kind of refer back to. In fact, I'd like to get started first. You know where you are in Matthew, first book of the New Testament. And if you'll go to Matthew and just flip back a couple of pages, I want to set this up first. Let's begin in Malachi chapter 2. So that's the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. And I'm in Malachi 2 verse 1. And this is how the Old Testament closes out. It says, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me, meaning Christ, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then flip to the very last page of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, I'll begin in verse five, behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, and he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. So the Old Testament closes out and there is no prophecy for over a 400 year period. Prophets are silent, okay, that's where we are with the beginning of the story. So now I want you to flip over to Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Let's go to Luke 1 and we're gonna begin with the story. And I'm going to start in verse five, Luke 1 verse five. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous in the sight of God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. And they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. So we don't know quite how old they are, but it's been estimated late eighties, nineties. They were both from the line of Aaron. And that's what then gave Zacharias, qualified him to serve as this priest. And so let's continue to read verse 8. Now it came about while he, being Zacharias, was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense." So some commentators say that they would have this duty for about a week to light incense. It was a tremendous honor to be able to have this. In fact, I read somewhere where you only got that honor once in a lifetime. And so here's Zacharias. He's been appointed to go and light the incense and keep the incense going in the temple. Verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, being Zacharias, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw him, and fear gripped him. No kidding, because Zacharias knows there has not been any prophet, no communication for over 400 years. There's been silence. So you bet Zacharias is wondering what in the world is going on. And by the way, the name Zachariah, it means God remembers. So God hadn't forgotten, even though he's been quiet. Verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition or your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will give him the name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. So, this is about to be the birth of John the Baptist, who is the forerunner for Jesus Christ. Verse 15: For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. So, remember, Pentecost hadn't happened yet. We read about in Acts when the giving of the Holy Spirit was given by Jesus Christ to us upon his ascension to heaven. Nobody was filled with the Holy Spirit yet, yet here we see John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. Verse 16, and he will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And it is he, meaning John the Baptist, who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Remember I referred us to Malachi 4.6 just a minute ago. To turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So John the Baptist was going to pave the way for the coming of Jesus Christ. Verse 18, And Zachariah said to the angel, How shall I know this for certain, for I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years? And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent, unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which shall be fulfilled in their proper time. And the people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And it came about when the days of his priestly service were ended, that he went back home. And after these days, Elizabeth, his wife became pregnant and she kept herself in seclusion for five months saying, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Verse 26. Now in the sixth month, okay, so this is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel, same angel, was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, both of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So let me just point out a couple of things. The name Jesus is actually a derivative of the name Joshua. You'll remember Joshua was the one who was selected to replace Moses to lead the Israelites into the Holy Land. And now Jesus, also Joshua, will lead us out of the bondage of sin. It also means deliverer. And you can see here that he will be given the throne of his father David, fulfilling the Davidic covenant that we studied back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12-16. through 16. Verse 34 And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth, So Elizabeth is her relative, is Mary's relative, probably a cousin through their mothers, because Mary we will see is from the line of David and Elizabeth is from the line of Aaron. So most likely cousins. And he says, and behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now at this time, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country. By the way, that's not the hill country of Texas, just in case you were wondering. To a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So now we see Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit before Pentecost. Verse 42, And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now, how did Elizabeth know that the mother of Jesus Christ, the Lord, is Mary? Obviously, the Holy Spirit is helping her become aware of this. 44, for behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me in his holy name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their throne, and he has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and he sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant. In his remembrance of his mercy, he has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she brought forth a son." Okay, so that sets up John the Baptist and now Mary, the announcement through the angel Gabriel that she will be giving birth as a virgin to the Son of God. And now, if you'd flip over to Matthew 1, and I want to briefly—I'm not going to go into as much detail because we studied this. If you're interested in more detail, you can go back and listen to the podcast on Matthew 1 on this genealogy. Matthew 1 begins, verse 1 through 17, is actually the genealogy of Joseph, okay? And this takes Jesus Christ, it takes his lineage all the way back to Abraham, okay? You can see it begins in verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham, to Abraham was born Isaac, Isaac Jacob, Jacob to Judah, you can keep reading on. There's some interesting names in here. A lot of times you just scan over this, but if you'll go listen to the lesson that we did on this, it's just fascinating. Some of the people that are in the lineage of Jesus. Rahab, the harlot, as well as others. Ruth, you can read the story of Ruth. But in any event, you can see, and to Jesse was born David the king, that's in verse 6. And to David was born Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. So remember, David had sex with Uriah's wife and had him killed. And then his second son was Solomon. So that's all there. And it traces, go all the way down to drop down to verse 16. And to Jacob was born Joseph, the husband of Mary. So you might say, well, wait a minute. Joseph isn't the father of Jesus. Why are we going through all this genealogy like this in Matthew? Well, Joseph is still the adoptive father of Jesus. And that is very important. He has legal lineage all the way back to David as an adopted son of Joseph. And that's very important in Jewish law, that you have this lineage, okay? And so through David, he can trace his lineage, his legal lineage, all the way back to David. All the way back to Abraham, all right? Now, you might say, well, it seems like it'd be more important to understand Mary's lineage. Great question. Let's flip over to Luke 3. Go back over to Luke. Luke 3, I'm just going to cover this real quick because we've spent some time on this some time ago. Again, you can go back and listen to the lesson. Go to Luke 3. That's three books over to the right. And I'm going to begin. Let me just hit a couple of these. Luke 3, begin in verse 23. And when he had began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being supposedly the son of Joseph. Okay, well, he wasn't the actual son. He was the adopted son of Joseph. But this is actually giving the lineage of Mary. Okay, and when it says son... As you read through here, think of it as son-in-law, father-in-law, father. That's what those words mean. And so you see where it talks about Eli. Eli was actually, Jesus is Eli's grandson through Mary. So Mary is a descendant from Eli. Joseph didn't beget Jesus. The Holy Spirit did. God did. And here we can track through and see the lineage of Mary. And it actually, this lineage that Luke provides goes all the way back to Adam, if you look over on verse 38. So it takes Mary's lineage all the way back to Adam, which is also interesting. But just so you understand how this works, so both Mary and Joseph were both descendants of David. Joseph descended, as we saw, from Solomon, And Mary descended from Solomon's brother named Nathan, okay? You can see where Nathan is over on verse 31, just to clarify all that, okay? So now we've got Jesus traced all the way back to David, fulfilling all the prophecy that the Messiah would come from the line of David. And we got it covered both through Joseph as well as Mary. Not much other than that is really known about Mary. She was probably from a poor family in Nazareth. She did have a sister named Salome, who happened to be the mother of the two disciples, James and John. They were brothers. Remember, we've talked about them. Peter, James, and John were the three closest disciples to Jesus. And so James and John are cousins to Jesus. Just to kind of set that up, just so you know who all these people are. Okay? So that's the lineage. So now let's go back over to Matthew. Sorry, I'm flipping you around, but that's just how this is organized. Let's go to Matthew 1, and I'm going to continue with the birth of Christ now, beginning in chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. So back then, usually there was this betrothal period you can think of it as an engagement period but it was really more than that typically there was a contract that the families had already entered into so they had a contract of marriage but they weren't allowed to come together. There was usually about a one-year probation period to wait to test the faithfulness and to see that the wife was, in fact, a virgin. They weren't allowed to have sex during that period of time. There was this betrothal period. And yet, look what happens. Joseph finds out that she's pregnant. And this is devastating to Joseph. It's an embarrassment to the family. Back then, adultery or sex outside of marriage, things of this nature, somebody who's betrothed. It was such a bad sin. You could be stoned for it. And so let's see what Joseph does. Verse 19, And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. He was looking for a way out, a divorce. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So, sure he was afraid. They were going to have a lot of scorn and ridicule. People would think that she had been unfaithful what is interesting when you look at these genealogy of both of these, all the records were destroyed when the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem in AD 70. And so nobody, nobody today, there's not a Jew anywhere that can trace their lineage back to Abraham or to David. The records were all destroyed. They're all gone. And yet here we have this record Only Jesus is the only person we can trace his lineage all the way back to David through the word of God that has been given to us here. And so at this time, think of poor Joseph. You know, his wife is pregnant. He knows it's not his. He is a little scared. Verse 21, and the angel says, And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Let me show you that just so you can see where that comes. Remember where Isaiah is. Go back over to about the middle of the Old Testament. You'll see Psalms and Proverbs and then just keep going to the right, and you'll get over to Isaiah. And if you'll take a look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, I'll read that to you. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. So this is prophecy some 700 years before this is actually now taking place. The other scripture I want to give you, it's a little more obscure, but I think it's important. If you keep going to the right, go to Jeremiah. After you go through Isaiah, just you'll get to Jeremiah. And go to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 22. And it says, For the Lord has created a new thing in the earth. A woman will encompass a man. Now, way back then, many of the rabbis believed that this very obscure verse meant that the Messiah would be born of a very unusual birth, that it would not be from a man as the father. There's an additional prophecy right there. There's others, but I did want to point that out to you. Okay, so let's go back over to Matthew 1, and I'll pick back up in verse 24. And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took her as his wife and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Here we see Joseph being very obedient. It's certainly not comfortable to him. I'm sure that all the people around were looking at him and Mary and saying, what in the world is going on? Why are you staying with this woman? And yet through God's grace, he gave his son to us in this miraculous birth with the intent that he was going to die in our place to pay the penalty for our sins. We're all broken sinners and we all need a savior. What's amazing is Christianity is the only religion in the world where God comes to us with a free gift, forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. All other religions, you're just trying to do as many things as you can to hopefully, hopefully get right with God. And not a one of them is going to get you there. The Bible says all those things are just filthy rags. God knew we had a sin problem and he gave us this incredible gift, not that we earned it or deserved it, He gave us this incredible gift of His Son that all we have to do is confess with our mouth that He is Lord and believe that He arose on the third day, that He is God's Son and we place our faith in Him and we have eternal life and our sins forgiven. So now let me take us over to continue with the story. Let's go back over to Luke. told you we'd be flipping back and forth, so go over to the right, Luke chapter 2, and we'll continue with the story, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And let me begin in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Now, it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Okay, so... This is actually, his real name is Octavius. He was born in 63 BC. Julius Caesar was his great uncle. And when Julius Caesar was assassinated in 44 BC, when his will was read, Octavius was the sole heir. And he was like 19 years old and became emperor of Rome. And the Senate gave him lots of power and called him Caesar Augustus. So that's who this is. What we're going to see, there are lots of things that are now just going to come together that are beyond coincidence. First of all, we've already seen the Messiah was to come from David's line. I'll show you a verse. He's to be born in Bethlehem. You don't move a pregnant wife very easily. We're going to see she's got to get moved to Bethlehem so that that's where Jesus can be born. The first-ever census is now taking place, and that's what gets married to Bethlehem. This can't be a coincidence, all right? And all of these are fulfilling prophecy. Let's watch what happened. Verse 3, "...and all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city." And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, remember that's where they lived, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. So you had to go register where your family was from. So even though they lived in Nazareth, they had to go to Bethlehem to register for this census. Verse five, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. So you can imagine they're traveling on this journey, probably everyone's frowning on them. Women who are pregnant before marriage, they're not well respected at all. And so let's continue on verse six. And it came about that while they were there the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloth, and and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So this manger, that's a stinky place, basically manure everywhere. This is not a place for Jesus Christ, our King, to come into this world. And yet this is how he and God the Father chose to arrive in this terrible earth, this sinful place that he's going to come and save all of us from. Just a terrible place to be born. Verse 8, And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. By the way, there's almost nobody lower than shepherds. They were like nomads. Yet this is who God chooses to tell first, not the religious leaders, not the Jewish religious leaders. He chooses to tell the lowly of the low about the birth of his son. Verse 9, And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, meaning the shepherds, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. It doesn't say who this angel is. Might have been Gabriel, who had already spoken to Mary and Elizabeth, but it doesn't say. Verse 10, And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. So notice that, not just for Jews. Verse 11, For today in the city of David meaning Bethlehem, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord, meaning the Messiah. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So the sky is full filled with these singing angels to make this announcement to these shepherds. Verse 15, "...and it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So the shepherds, they did something about what they had seen. How many people do we know that they hear and they do nothing about it? They don't even want to go even look into it. They don't even want to know anything about Jesus. They hear us speak the word Jesus and they're not even interested in learning more. Yet these shepherds, they wanted to do something about it. A lot of people just say, no, I don't need Jesus. I can figure it out on my own. And by the way, think how hard it might be to even find a baby in a manger somewhere. But they trust God. Verse 16, And they came in haste, so they went fast, and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told to them. And when eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel, meaning Gabriel, before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, was completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem and presented him to the Lord. Okay, so now I want you to flip back over to Matthew. Now we're going to go back to Matthew 2 and kind of finish out the story. And I'll begin in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So these magi, these are probably some really wealthy people. Everyone assumes there's three of them because, as we'll see, and you remember from the story, there's three gifts. It doesn't say how many people there were. In fact, they were wealthy. There may have been an entourage of people traveling. But in any event, don't get all worked up about that. There's a bigger problem with what we see in the nativity scenes. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. So we've got these three magi, sometimes they're called the three kings, probably very wealthy people. And they have seen this sign and they're looking, they want to come worship the king of the Jews. Verse three, and when Herod the king heard of it, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And he's troubled because he probably thought, "Uh uh-oh, this is the Messiah king, which typically when a new king came, he killed the existing king. So that's probably going to mean the end of Herod, at least the end of his power. So Herod's really worried about this. And he thinks he can just get rid of the Messiah and be done with him. So let's see what happens. Verse 4, and gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he, being Herod, began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. By the way, everybody knew where he was to be born. All you had to ask is, where were you born? Bethlehem? Yeah, uh, must be the Messiah, right? Everybody knew. It's in the prophecy. Everybody knew. Even the scribes and the Pharisees knew. Verse five, and they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it has been written by the prophets and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So that's out of Micah 5, two. if you want to go look at that. So that's the prophecy that said that Jesus was going to be born. The Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Everybody knows it. Verse 7, then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from the time the star appeared. So he wanted to now figure out, well, when was he born? Okay, he was born in Bethlehem, but how long ago? Verse 8, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. Well, he had no intention of worshiping Jesus. He's looking for Jesus to get rid of him. Verse nine, and having heard the king, they went their way and lo, the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. So here we have another supernatural, a star leading them to where the child was. Verse 10, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and they came into the house and saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. Probably their whole entourage. Let me point out these gifts, these were very expensive gifts. And gold, it may have been given for his royalty, frankincense probably given for his deity, and myrrh really represented his humanity. Myrrh was something that was used in in embalming. That's the human aspect of these, but very expensive gifts. And what these gifts provided, Mary and Joseph didn't have money. And so these gifts, what we're going to see, are going to enable them to travel to Egypt and escape Herod. So verse 13, And now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, out of Egypt did I call my son. So that's out of Hosea, if you want to look at that, over in the Old Testament. Hosea 11.1, another prophecy, because it actually also says that the Messiah would come out of Egypt. So had to get Jesus to Bethlehem, had to get Jesus to Egypt. A lot going on to fulfill all these prophecies. So let me continue on here. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its, my translation says environs, districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which had been ascertained from the Magi. One thing I want to point out here, this is where the nativity scenes in the Christmas cards, they're not biblical they typically show Jesus in a manger, a little infant in a manger. It'll show the shepherds standing there, and it typically will show the three kings or the magi with their gifts. Well, the the magi with their gifts came much later. You can see verse 11, they came into the house and saw the child. So Jesus is probably, we know Jesus is less than two years old because we read here, that's what they determined. It was two years or younger. He's probably between a year and maybe 18 months. Anyway, he's less than two years old. He's not an infant. The magi don't appear at the manger. They come to his house. So if you want to just have a little bit of trivia with your families over the holidays, pull open any Christmas card and say, if it's a nativity scene, say, what's wrong with this picture? What's not biblical about it? Because this actually happened later. Uh, Just a little interesting point there that everyone gets confused. And so verse 17, Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. This is another prophecy out of Jeremiah. It's Jeremiah 31, 15, if you want to look at it. A voice was heard in Ramah. Ramah is a town that's very close to Jerusalem. It's about five miles north. Weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. So all these babies are killed. They're all killed, two years and younger. And mothers are weeping and in great mourning because all these children are killed. Verse 19, But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead meaning Herod and probably others, but not the Pharisees and Sadducees as we know how the story is going to play out. Verse 21, and he being Joseph arose and took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. That's because Archelaus was killing many Jews. And being warned by God in a dream, He departed for the regions of Galilee. That's Joseph. So he takes them instead to Galilee. Verse 23, And came and resided in a city called Nazareth. Here's another prophecy that was spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. So lots of prophecies fulfilled. This is just an amazing story. If you can't see God at work in so many different ways making this all happen and fulfilling all this prophecy... And yet you look at Joseph and he always does what he's told. We don't know a lot about Joseph. We assume that he had passed away before Jesus's crucifixion because he's not mentioned at all during that time. And in fact, Jesus tells the disciples John to take care of his mother. So we don't know that much about Joseph, but clearly he was obedient to God. He trusted God. God told him to do this. And he obeyed, very obedient, and he's a great model for us. Just do what God says. And he didn't put Mary away. He trusted God. Let me just kind of wrap up, and then let's talk about this. With everything that has to be done around Christmas, here we are Christmas week, it really is easy to forget what we're really celebrating at Christmas, and that's the birth of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And I know it's often said during this time of year, it's better to give than to receive. And our focus turns to buying and giving others gifts to show how much we love and appreciate them. But it's easy to get so wrapped up in the commercialness of Christmas that it's easy to overlook the awesome and incredible gift that God has given to us. I mean, we are all broken sinners. And God has been very clear. He told us where there's sin, there's death. And so no matter how hard we try, We all continue to sin, we all fall short of God's holiness, and there is nothing we can do to earn our way. Absolutely nothing. And people who say all religions lead to God, well, there is some truth to that. We'll all face judgment before God, but only those who have accepted His Son as their Lord and Savior are going to be saved and everyone's gonna live into eternity. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you will live into eternity with your sins forgiven and live with God and Jesus forever. If not, you're gonna live separated from God for eternity. There's not such thing as annihilation. We all are gonna live into eternity and we've gotta make the decision. We have to accept and receive the gift on this side in order to have eternal life with Jesus Christ on the other side. God knew we had a problem, and he knew we needed a Savior, and he loved us so much that he gave us this tremendous gift in his Son to come and die in our place for our sins. And it's been offered to all mankind, this gift. But we have to accept the gift. This is one gift that is definitely better to receive because we can't give it. We have to receive this gift. We have to accept it, and we have to place our faith in Jesus Christ as God's Son and our Lord and Savior. But amazingly, so much of the world just chooses not to accept the gift. They want to do it on their own. And so I ask you to really think about and pray that God might put you in a position to be able to share this story or parts of it, or what's important about Christmas with other members of your family who may not be Christians and how the peace that you have now, because you know your sins are forgiven, you're not perfect. And things don't always go right. We all have trials and tribulations, but share the impact and the change that having Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what that has meant to your peace in your own life. So let me open it up for any questions or comments that you might have. Just an incredible story for us to be focused on. I just want to say thanks. That was a great recap. Very, very meaningful and timeful and uh, help us as Christian men focus on. Uh, the meaning of Christmas. So thank you for that preparation and that presentation. I was delighted to do it. I oftentimes go through this whole thing with my family at this time of year. It's been a tradition that we've had for many, many years. So you might want to think about doing that. You can either go through it yourself or turn on the podcast. Well, isn't it interesting to think about the three responses that, as we went through this story, there's always been three responses to Jesus. You've got people like Herod, just the mention of Jesus's name, and it's instant hostility, right? Pretty much our culture today. You can talk about God, but you mention Jesus, and all of a sudden people are uncomfortable and outright hostile. Second group, just indifference. Look at the chief priest and the religious leaders. They know what the prophecy is, and they don't even want to go look into it. Totally indifferent, just not interested. Now, we know the way the story plays out because we just finished going through the whole Gospel of Matthew. You know, eventually they turn hostile, but right now they don't even care. They say, oh, yeah, yeah, he was going to be born in Bethlehem, and yeah, oh, Really? The star appeared less than two years ago? Interesting. They don't even go look into it. Total indifference. How many people do we know like that? Just indifferent. Don't bother me with it. I don't need to know any of this stuff. I'm going to do it all on my own. I don't need any help. Just indifferent. And then you got people like the shepherds, like the magi, like Mary and Joseph, obedient. They want to worship and they want to obey, and that's what we're called to do as Christians. I think we just have to be mindful of the different reactions and just in a loving way, just try to help people as best we can, especially during this time of year and family members who are just lost and they're not able to see their other family members maybe because of COVID or what have you. And uh, people are hurting. They'll never have peace without the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Thank you for joining us today. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to me at LarryO'Donnell.com. You can also sign up to receive this weekly podcast and my weekly blog at LarryO'Donnell.com. I hope you'll join us next time as we continue our study.